Judges 16 is where we're going to be, verses 23 through the end of the chapter, and this is what it says. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me fill the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me. Only this once, O oh God, that I may avenge, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed his head and all of his strength, in all of his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him, brought him up, and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. This is the word of God. You can be seated. And let me thank you again for coming. And as you're being seated, let me ask you to please bow with me in prayer. Father, we are grateful for the fact that we have your word. Um, I know that we often take it for granted. We've had it all of our lives. Many of us have many copies in our home. We know, however, studying church history, that it's come to us at a price, especially in the English language, so we are grateful that we have it. Lord, I pray, thanking you that we have it, and I pray also asking that you would apply its eternal truths to our hearts. I pray that as we study it, today and continue to study the life of Samson, that you would please help us to be warned against sin and encouraged to walk in the truth. We pray this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen. I've titled the message this morning, Samson Defeated Himself. Samson defeated himself. And what I don't necessarily mean is he defeated himself that day when everything fell on top of him. What I mean is he defeated himself in the way that he lived up to this point that got him to this point in the first place. We know he was destined to be the one who began to defeat the Philistines. And so he did. However, I believe that, of course, it could have gone much differently and much better for Samson. Let me ask you this question. Does a good beginning guarantee a good ending? Does a good beginning guarantee a good ending? Now, you might say, well, Cohen, I need a, a little more information. What are you talking about here? Are you talking about nations or, or businesses or, or marriages or, or churches? What are, you, what are you talking about? Well, I think the answer is still the same. 
really no matter what I'm talking about, right? The answer is still no, it doesn't. A good beginning doesn't guarantee a good ending, no matter whether we're talking about nations, businesses, marriages, or churches. All of these can start off well, very productive, and very happy. But the downfall of these different institutions can usually be boiled down to the same thing, however, can't they? The downfall for any institutions on planet Earth, their downfall is usually sin. Sin can bring them all down. No matter how good the beginning of something is, you can count on it that sin will ruin it. Now, there may be seasons where it doesn't seem to be ruined, but its end will be ruin. There's even many psalms that talk about don't envy the wicked. Well, what does that mean? It means they have something to be envious of. The wicked seem to prosper for a time. They do. I know, and you know, many wealthy, wicked people. But their end will be ruin. Let's think about the judge that we are studying, continuing to study. The Lord miraculously touched Samson's parents that they may have a child, even though Samson's mother was barren. Next, the Lord uniquely sets Samson apart even before his conception, proclaiming that he would be under this Nazarite vow and therefore dedicated to God in this very special way. Another good beginning. Also, you may recall that from chapter 13, Samson's purpose was going to be the beginning of a mighty work that God was going to do to save his people from the oppression and invasion of the Philistines. Samson, the truth is, Samson was the result of a miracle. And on top of that, he was born to godly parents. Remember what book we're in. We're in the book of Judges. Samson's parents being godly was a very rare thing in these days. And he was born into a very blessed state, just being born under godly parents. During this time in Israel's history, truth is, Samson had a good beginning. He did. But Samson refused to follow in the ways of his godly parents. Even back, as we saw last week, he says, I want this woman Get her for me. She was a Philistine. His parents even said, why would you want that? Why don't you pick one from among the women of Israel? He refused to follow in their ways. Samson refused to follow in the ways of godly parents and began to follow his own ungodly passions. In chapter 4, uh, not 4, 14 rather, there's going to be a summary. I'm going to get us I'm going to summarize these chapters because the truth is we get four chapters of Samson's life. I'm going to summarize up till the end here. We know in chapter 14 he desires this Philistine wife. He refuses to follow the law of God and therefore he begins to lose his way. Then in chapter 15, Samson's behavior now reflects a hot-tempered man who reacts in fierce anger when he doesn't get what he wants. The truth is he's acting more like a child than he's acting like a man, especially a godly 
man shouldn't act in these ways. Proverbs 29.11 says this, Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. When in chapter 15, Samson learns that he's definitely not getting this wife after all. Definitely not going to get her because he tries to go back and get her. And he learns, no, 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 she's definitely 100% being given to someone else. He then sets fire to the stacked grain and to the grain fields and to the olive orchards of the Philistines. He is angry and he just reacts and retaliates in that way, being very foolish. If I can't get what I want, and this is what I'm going to do. And the Philistines, of course, having learned of Samson's strength, they know none of us are going to go attack him one-on-one. This is how we're going to get back at him. And they murder his wife, one of their own. These are cruel times in this history. These are just brutal times. And Samson's fitting right into it all acting foolish like the foolish nations around him. So they kill his wife and her father. Selfish, foolish, and sinful behavior will always bring drama into your life. And we're supposed to see that in the life of Samson as we read through these four chapters. We're supposed to see that. We're supposed to see him acting foolishly, sinfully, selfishly, and it keeps on bringing all this trouble into his life. We're supposed to pick up on that pattern. As readers, that's what the author wants us to see. Because halfway through chapter 15, we then find Samson hiding. He burns all those fields, he burns all the grain, he burns the olive orchards, and then what's he do? He runs off and hides. And he hides where? Well, he actually hides in the land of Lehi, which is Israelite territory. He runs and he hides there among his own people. And the Philistines, they know we can't attack him one-on-one. He is too strong. We've heard of what he can do. So they bring an army of 3,000 men. And they come to Lehi. And the Israelites there see this army amassing and coming against them. And they say, can we help you? And they say, yes, you can. Samson's hiding among you, and he did X, Y, and Z. And they say, no problem. We know where he is. We'll go get him. Now, they promise not to hurt him when they go find him. Just bind him and deliver him over to them. But it's a sad day. When the people of God will hand over a God-appointed leader just to save their own skin. It's a sad day that they would even have to hand over a God-appointed leader who's not rallying the troops to fight against the Philistines. He's not doing that. He's hiding from them because his, again, foolish, selfish, And sinful actions have got him to this place. We're supposed to see the sad shape the nation is in at this point. We're supposed to be shocked by this. When we read this, we're supposed to say, oh my goodness, the people of Israel went 
and bound a judge and handed him over to the enemies. Oh my goodness, this is not good. And as we've studied in this book, we've seen the downfall. We've, we've seen the progression. You might recall Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah. They were pretty good. We don't ever get any good judges because, again, we're not in a good time. But those three were pretty good, we would say. And then we get to Gideon, and he's okay. And then we get to Jephthah, and he's just bad. And then we get to Samson, and he's worse. There's a downgrade happening in this book, and the further we read, the worse things get. Why? Because of the sin cycle. It keeps happening again and again, and the people of Israel continue to refuse to truly, 100%, follow the ways of the Lord and pass these things on to their children and demand of their children also and encourage their children to walk in these ways. And so we keep seeing a further, further downgrade. And it's all because God's appointed leader here hadn't turned his heart and his will over to God's will, the one whom God had appointed. So we see the people of Israel turning him over to God's enemies. Now, thank the Lord, God hadn't totally abandoned Samson. God's ultimate plan was to deal a mighty blow to the Philistines, and that was still in play. Why was it still in play? Because none of us, I don't care how strong or mighty we think our wills are, None of us can ultimately thwart God's ultimate plans. Can we miss out on some huge blessings, some great opportunities, joy, life, peace, forgiveness that God has for us? Absolutely. We can totally ruin that. We can flush that down the toilet real quick. But that doesn't leave God up in heaven saying, now what am I going to do? We're not strong enough to thwart God's ultimate plans. We do have enough deterministic will that he's given to us, though, to ruin our own lives. We do have that. We also have God's grace (laughs) to fit into that ultimate plan that he's got. And he welcomes anyone to come into that plan that he's got for history, moving it all ultimately towards his means I mean, through his means to his ultimate goal, which is glory and goodness in the kingdom of God forever. So Samson, who still has his strength, he breaks through these ropes that he's bound in as if they were just two thin sewing threads. And he unleashes havoc upon these Philistines who've come to get him. He looks on the ground. It must be an old skeleton there of a donkey. He grabs the jawbone and he kills a thousand of them in one furious battle. So if you're reading up to this point in the book of Judges, uh, you might think the Israelites would uh, reconsider and rally behind Samson after seeing this. You might think they would say, oh wow, look what he just did. Let's, Let's rally behind them, or you may think, surely all this drama that just became real in Samson's life, surely all this will make him say, I should probably reconsider my ways. I've been foolish, 
I've been self-centered, and I've ignored the ways of the Lord. And look what it's brought upon me. Only ruin up to this point. I should reconsider my ways. I should reconsider my sinful behavior because it's brought only ruin on to me. Well, after the battle, we find uh, only two recorded prayers of Samson in the Bible. There's only two times that we read Samson actually praying. And right after the battle, we're hoping for a change here. We're, we're hoping once we read to this point, surely Samson's going to change now. He begins to pray. And what's he pray? He prays this in Judges 15, 18. He was very thirsty after the battle. He calls upon the Lord and said, What? You've granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? He's only concerned about his thirst. He's not concerned about any sort of spiritual thirst. Why? Because he has none. He's only concerned, God, you've done this great victory for me, and now are you going to let me die of thirst? What's wrong with you? Why don't I have water? Does that remind you of anyone else we may have read about in the book of the Bible up to this point? Remind you of any other people that may have talked like this? Who's it remind us of? Reminds us of the people of Israel, doesn't it? God does great things for them, and they're wandering through the wilderness after God did this mighty victory to deliver them through ten amazing signs, overpowering one of the most mighty nations on planet Earth, and they're wandering through the wilderness, and they're just like a bunch of babies. They're whiny, and Moses is constantly having to change their diapers. It's ridiculous. And he's acting just like them. And we're supposed to see that. Again, we're supposed to get to this point and see he's acting just like the people of Israel. He's only concerned about spiritual, I mean, I'm sorry, physical, rather, thirst, and not the spiritual, he was still only focused on the physical. And in fact, way too focused on the physical because we turn and we begin looking at chapter 16 and what do we find at the very beginning of chapter 16? He's sleeping with a prostitute. He goes right from that to then sleeping with this prostitute in the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines surround the place where he is and he waits until midnight and after escaping the town only because of his mighty strength to lift the doors of the town off their hinges and carry them way up this hill. That's the only reason he was able to escape. Because they had him surrounded and he snuck out. And they had him locked in the city. And they didn't realize, oh, he can pick up gigantic doors and carry them off. <laughs> and he did. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, It's possible for people's character to deteriorate so much that they don't have to be tempted in order to sin. They only need the opportunity to sin, and they'll tempt themselves. It's possible for people's character to deteriorate so much that they don't have to be tempted to sin. They only need the opportunity to sin, and they will tempt 
themselves. And that is so true. We see this downgrading of the life of Samson. He keeps going back to sin and filth and waywardness. He's not learning. And yet God continues to be gracious to him. He's so patient. If you're sitting in this room listening to my voice, you need to know this. God has been very patient with you and kind, has he not? We transgressed his ways so many times, even the ones in here who are Christians among us. We know that we have to constantly repent, have to constantly go to him confessing our sins and thank the Lord that Jesus' blood, Jesus' sacrifice was so sufficient that it covers our sins past, present, and the ones you'll commit next year. If there is a next year for us even, right? We don't know. And Samson also didn't know how many years he had, yet he continues to fall into this foolishness. Samson had gotten to that point that he begins to continue to downfall and downfall and downfall because then we see him after he's rescued from this town, being with this prostitute, he's delivered once again. We think, now he'll learn. Nope. Later on, in the same chapter, he goes into another town and he finds this woman that he likes named... Delilah. And it's Delilah who would lead to his downfall, for sure. Listen to Proverbs 5, verses 3 through 5. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow to the path of Sheol. Sheol is the place of the dead, the grave. Oh, yes, there are people. And this doesn't just apply for men, does it? This is for anyone who's carried off to lust after someone they ought not. Lips are sweeter than honey. They drip honey. The speech is smoother than oil. And it is the path to death. And Samson is about to find this out. The Word of God shows itself to be altogether true once again in his life because he brings even more drama into his life. If you've read that chapter about Samson and Delilah, it's like reading a soap opera. She ends up turning him over to the Philistines. Why? For money. 1,100 pieces of silver. That's what Samson was worth to her. I'll betray him for 1,100 pieces of silver. Sure, I'll do it. What a woman. We want to find one like that in life, don't we? We show where we truly are in our lives once money gets involved. We show who we truly are in our lives once money gets involved. If I can make you compromise for money, you were never truly that in the first place. If I can make you break your integrity for money, you never had integrity in the first place. If I can get you to lie for money, you were never truthful in the first place. If I can get you to steal for money, you're never honest in the first place or trustworthy in any way. Delilah showed she did not truly love this man. Of course, he just blew into town. Big, handsome, long hair. She turned him over for money. Samson had a way with words 
Maybe he won her over with his words. We don't know. But we know that he creates this riddle at his wedding. Remember that? After he kills the 1,000 Philistines with this jawbone of a donkey, he actually says this riddle. It's recorded in chapter 15. He gives out this riddle. And we know also that um, he keeps saying these things to his Delilah. I don't think she's a wife. He keeps saying things to her over and over again. He's, oh, you, you don't love me. You're not telling me the truth and all these things. Now, there was a reason that he had a way with words not just among men, but it looks like among women as well. He was God's appointed leader. And as God's appointed leader, he was supposed to be using those words to tell the truth to the people of Israel, to turn them from their wickedness to repentance to the one true God back to him. He was also supposed to be leading his people with his words in battle against the enemies of God to retake the land that God promised to Abraham many years ago, retake it, and finish what Joshua had started. Because remember, this is the book of Judges, right after the book of Joshua. This is a continuation. What we're hoping for is someone's going to come along and finish this work that Joshua started. And no, Samson does not use his words for good. His words become his downfall. When he believes he can trust a worldly woman and she desecrates his Nazarite vow and she cuts his hair. And this leads to his capture, which leads to him having his eyes gouged out by the Philistines, which leads to then his imprisonment. The truth is, the Philistines didn't ultimately defeat him. The Philistines didn't ultimately capture him. Samson defeated himself. Samson led to Samson's capture. This is all Samson's fault. Why? Because Samson devoted himself not to God, but to sin again and again and again. He continues to fall into this trap, not learning. But be sure of this, church. Be sure of this. And this is for me, too. This is as much for me as it is for you. If you're playing with sin and you're ignoring the things of God, you will come to ruin. You absolutely will. I don't care how good things seem to have started off in your life. You will have a bad ending because sin only ruins. It is a cancer. And though we think we are smart enough, strong enough, wise enough, rich enough to escape its clutches, No man can escape the clutches of sin. It is deadly and ruinous. And sure, things may seem good for a while. But be sure that your sins will find you out, is what the Word of God says. And this brings us to the point in the narrative that I read at the beginning. Here we are. Samson's captured. And the people, the Philistines, they're praising who? Dagon. They're saying, yay, Dagon delivered this man into our hands. R.C. Sproul said this about this point in verse 23. This is where we are now in Judges 16, 23, where we started. R.C. Sproul says this, God is the judge. God is the judge who allowed oppressors to mistreat his people on account of their sin. It was not the power of the gods of the nations that enabled them to overcome Israel. It wasn't Dagon who 
allowed this, though the Philistines think so. They think, oh, our God was bigger and stronger, therefore we have this victory this day. No. Yahweh allowed this to come upon his people. Why? Because of their sin. And God will also allow things to come into our life because of our sin to bring us to repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance is what the word of God says. We are supposed to sometimes feel a sorrow that can only come from God so that we'll repent. It's when people continue to have drama and trouble and hardship because of their sin, and they continue to fall back into it, and they don't see that that's the problem, it's those who don't know the Lord. Discipline is different than just outright punishment. For the Christian, things come into our life because of our sin. That's called discipline, and it brings us back. It makes us say, what a fool I was. Please forgive me. Help me. However, before that, we also feel dirty when we sin, don't we? We feel shameful because we know this is wrong. This is wrong. The Bible speaks about, in the book of Jeremiah, Israel, it says, acting like a prostitute who has no shame. It's when you can do horribly wicked, vile things and have no shame that you know your heart is in a dark, dark place in a foolish place because godly sorrow produces repentance and the Lord allowed this oppression to come to his people and it was because of their sin. And though both Israel and Samson had good beginnings, Israel had a good beginning. God blessed them so much, gave them a law, gave them godly leaders and they've come to this place because of their sin. Samson had a good beginning he was the result of a miracle for crying out loud. His mom's not even supposed to be able even to have children. And a Nazarite vow was placed upon him before he was even born. He was born to godly parents in a time where those were so rare. He had a good beginning. And his sin led him to this place. I don't know if you noticed, but in our text it said that he was being led around by a young man. A boy was now able to lead Samson around this man who could rip a lion apart like a young uh, lamb, the scriptures told us, who could lift gates off cities and carry them, who could slay a thousand men with a broken tool, right? Now being led around by a little boy and being made sport of by the Philistines. If you could see this, if we could see all this happening to this mighty man, we would be so sorrowful we would say, that poor man. Even if you didn't know. If you were just watching from the outside. Maybe you weren't a Philistine. Maybe you're just viewing this party from afar. You would say, that poor man. Look at them making sport of him. Look at him being led around in chains by a little boy. That poor soul. We would pity him. Samson's final request, I really love it. And God answered his request, which makes me believe that Samson's heart was right with God here at the end, because God wouldn't answer Samson's prayer otherwise, I don't believe. And it's interesting, I want you to see Samson's prayer here, because it, it, 
it's similar to another one. And look at this now in, let me find it here, 28. Judges 16, 28. Then Samson called to the Lord, and the Lord said, I mean, and he said this to the Lord, O Lord God, look at this, please remember me. Please remember me. This reminds me of another prayer of another man in Scripture. Samson, in saying this, had a hand against each pillar. His guy's arm stretched out. And here he is saying, Lord, remember me. And there's another man that also his foolish behavior had gotten him into another situation that was also sad and pitiable. There was a man right beside Jesus on a cross. He also had his arm stretched out. He was there also because of his foolish choices. He was a thief, we're told. And what does he say to Jesus? Well, let me just read Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals who were hanged um, rallied at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here's also another man who came to a sorrowful end. But in the end, looked at the Messiah and said, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And what do we see about Samson? He says to the Lord, remember me this last time. Give me strength one more time. And he defeated the enemies of God in such a mighty blow. He killed more in his death than he killed in his life. Where am I going with that? There is a way to guarantee a good ending to a good beginning. There is a way to guarantee that. And it only comes through trusting in God. Listen to Philippians 1, 3 through 6. Philippians 1, 3 through 6 says this. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The way that we guarantee a good ending to a good beginning is trusting in Jesus Christ the Messiah, because it says here that he who started a good work in you, he's going to complete it. There's a guaranteed good completion to those who are in Christ, focused on the things of God, concerned about the gospel. Because he says this, I get joy when I pray for you all because why? Of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The way that we show that we're in God's good graces and we are actually walking with Christ, is we care about the gospel, we care about the truth, and we want others to know the truth. We're not looking for inventive ways to sin. We're looking for inventive ways to help people know the truth so they can be delivered from their sin. Samson's life is a way 
not to do it. We're supposed to look at Samson's life for four chapters. We get four chapters, and we're supposed to see, don't do it like this. And we get to Jesus, and we're supposed to see, do it like this. And we get verses like this that encourage us and help us know that those of us who are focused on the truth, those of us who are hating our sin, not like Samson loving it, trying to get back into it again and again and again, even though God's disciplining us. No, no, no. Those of us who are committed to the truth through Jesus Christ, wanting to be like him, focused on the gospel, getting it out to others, we are guaranteed a good ending. Why? Because Jesus Christ purchased it for us already through the cross. That's the only way we get our happy ending is because Jesus purchased it for us already. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the truth. I pray, Lord, that you would please help us to be rebuked in our sin, Lord, as we read these things. Lord, help us to be also rerouted into truth, Lord. Lord, I pray also that you would please convict us of our sin, convince us of the truth. Lord, for those in here who might not know Jesus Christ yet, I pray that you would also use truths like this to convert their souls. Lord, thank you that we have a guaranteed good ending because of Jesus Christ.